Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now let's go. Hello and welcome into The Sandbox. I'm your host, Justin Peters. And before I give my guest intro for today, I wanted to share quick thoughts. I don't know if you are listening currently in your car or maybe I'm in your ears while you make dinner, but I know there are a ton of options out there when it comes to listening to podcasts. And I've had a ton of fun over the last few months putting the show together and getting able to speak to such awesome guests. And I just wanted to give a quick appreciation to you. I know you have a ton of options for listening to podcasts. So if this is your first episode or if this is your 21st episode, I appreciate you for tuning in. Okay, so back to my guest. Today's guest is Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting. Ben's current chapter of life began when he got a wake-up call walking into work one day. Ben was on his way to a Chicago medical center where he worked as an executive in healthcare administration. He glanced at each person that walked past him on the sidewalk and they all carried the same feeling in their face, unhappiness, resentfulness, defeat. And taking in the energy of his morning commute, he realized that he didn't really like his job either. Sure, it was the perfect job on paper, fancy title, great paying benefits, he even could walk to work, but he knew deep down that he was called to serve elsewhere. And he realized other people had the same problem. That's where he created LFY Consulting. He helps business professionals who feel stuck and unfulfilled at work, just like he did. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I am sure this is a very relevant topic for everybody out there in the 20-somethings category and maybe some other people outside of that demographic as well. We get into topics such as creating novelty in your life, taking control of your job satisfaction, and the importance of self-leadership. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Dr. Benjamin, how you doing, my man? Doing pretty good, Justin. <laughs> how are you today? Not too bad. I uh, am looking forward to this conversation here. And it's ironic, you and I connected um, through a platform that matches podcasters and, and guests of podcast. And we jumped on a call a couple of weeks after that, and we both realized that in that uh, time frame that we moved to Austin, Texas, which was like just super ironic. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person, but it's great to be able to have this conversation and know somebody here in Austin. Why did you end up moving to Austin? I came from Chicago. So if you've ever been there, there's pretty cold winters. <laughs> and I've been there my whole life. So two, two things really, the, the weather, but also just to shake things up a little bit. I try to live a life that has routine within it, structure within it, mm. but also novelty. Also trying to always find ways to dis, like, discover more ways to be uncomfortable. I mean, if, I think the more you test yourself, the more you expose yourself to new opportunities. There's one thing to read about it. There's one thing to think about it, but it's another to do it. So that, that applied aspect of it it's just something that I always strive for in my life. And now like I moved here, I'm talking to my partner and I'm like, so where do you want to go next year? Like, I guess <laughs> I opened the floodgates. She's like, we're, we're living here. I was like, I know, but think about the things that we can do now. <laughs> that, I think that's what's so neat about doing something new and you're uncomfortable with is it, it just, it builds momentum. 
Mm. That's such a tough balance because I, uh, born and raised in St. Louis, similar to you, grew up in the Midwest, just wanted to try a new city, went to San Diego for two years. And that whole time I was always thinking like, what's next? What's what's the next city after that? Uh, but I found it's a tricky balance between looking forward and enjoying the current place and moment. Um, so I, I don't know, I still haven't quite figured that out. But moving here to Austin, I'm trying to give myself at least six months before I start judging it or thinking about where I want to go next. What uh, You mentioned novelty. What's your cadence of you know injecting some novelty into your, your life? And what are some other things that you've done to get that? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I I always end up feeling a little stuck when I'm not challenging myself. So I always need something new within my life. And that's been something like I've dealt with that myself just to be like, okay, you're committing to this. And a commitment is very different than being half in or half, half out. That could be a career. It could be something you're learning. It could be, you know, an instrument. It could be a relationship. So I, I've kind of have to try to find that balance. Like you just mentioned between, okay, so this is the standard foundation of my life. This is what I want in terms of my career, my relationships and my routines. But then this is the area, this is the one eighth or one fifth percent of it that I'm going to continue to just mess with. And in terms of like how I do that, it's pretty much just this natural instinct that comes up. Like just, just literally two weeks ago, I was feeling like I wasn't learning enough and I wasn't being challenged. So I was like, where could I be challenged in my life? I'm like, okay, ooh, there's two topic areas that I don't know anything about, investing and philosophy. And so I literally just bought 10 books on philosophy. All I listen to on podcasts is philosophy. I bought one book on investing because it wasn't that big of a deal to me. So I have it, it's there. But it's, it's just this natural urge to find ways to continuously challenge and grow. Mm. Mm. So in terms of self-studying, is books typically the method that you like to like to use? books and podcasts. I'm, you know, some people really like talking to someone and learning from them. Mm -hmm. Some people like watching videos a lot for me. It's getting into my imagination, into my head. And then it's also finding space to think about the things that I also just learned, which is why I think I, I enjoy walks so I can kind of ruminate on, on the thing that I just read or the thing I just listened to. I enjoy nature. I enjoy sometimes laying down and just closing my eyes and meditating and like visioning, envisioning different things. And so that's, that's how I like to learn. And then it's the applied aspect of it. So finding people in my life that I know would appreciate these topics or these things and bringing up those questions to, to talk them out, not per se learning from someone, but more so just like, you know, I'm a coach. And so when I have coaching relationships, a lot of the power isn't exactly what I'm saying, but it's allowing the other person to work through what they're thinking. And so that's kind of the purpose of those conversations that I'm having with those closest to me. Plus it builds the relationship up, gives you an excuse to connect with someone. Definitely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, so you mentioned your career a little bit. Can you um, explain what your job is without using your job title? Yeah, I basically guide others to create a career they love. That could be launching a business, could be pivoting into a new industry, or it could be navigating their current career space as a leader. Mm. It's usually people come seek me out because they feel stuck. They feel underutilized. Uh, they could also be feeling overworked, almost on the edge of burnout. And they, they feel that they're meant for something a little bit more. 
And usually they've tried to find it themselves. So they've jumped into a new position the year before, two years, or they've paid for another program or read a couple books and they're just not finding the answers. Mm -hmm. So um, taking that, is it safe to call you a career coach then? That is an aspect of it. So I, I called myself a leadership and empowerment coach because I work with leaders a lot. It's kind of the bulk of the people I work with. And then empowerment because my personal belief is that everyone should feel empowered to live for themselves. The company is called Live For Yourself. But I've recently tagged on career, especially during this time. And one of the main things if you're starting a business or have a business is to resonate with your target client and they need to understand who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. So leadership and career coach is pretty much the industries that I operate in. Especially nowadays, there's such a need in the market for resume help, LinkedIn review, like mock interviews even. And I have experience in that. I've done that. It's part of my programs. So I've integrated that a lot more into my practice. Mm. So what was the tipping point or what were the story building up to you launching your coaching practice? Well, I've launched a business actually. 10 years ago. This practice though is about four and a half years old. Coaching in itself came out of just necessity in a way and serendipity, necessity and serendipity. When I first started in coaching, I was actually a dating relationships coach. And that happened because I was randomly talking to someone in a bar. They said, I see what you're doing. Cause I self-taught myself a lot of social dynamics work and just going out like, as I meant being uncomfortable. So going out and having conversations with strangers was something that I was really doing a lot. And so he's like, Hey, I get what you're doing. Come talk to my boss. I met his boss the next day. Dr. Paul Dobransky ended up hiring me to run his coaching programs across the U S hmm. that was the first time I ever thought about coaching as something to do. After working for him for about a year, I realized that I, I still had something that I wanted to give to the world. So I wrote a book. And after writing the book, I realized that no one knew who I was. So how would I sell that book? So that's when I ended up creating that business, understanding how to launch a coaching business and, and basically learning all the mistakes about launching that business for the next five years and using that knowledge to then pivot to an area that I was really interested in and cared deeply about and that was in leadership and career coaching. And that happened because I basically was working as a healthcare executive, had really poor leadership, was going into work every day, being basically the client that I work with now. I felt stuck, I felt underutilized, I felt overworked and no one did anything about it. And I just kept being a victim to myself about it. Mm. Talking to myself negatively, pulling back from relationships at work, not volunteering for work that I knew that could actually help me feel good. And at the same time, they're giving me, they were giving me a ton of opportunities. I could walk to work. They selected me for the 16 months leadership training program. I was promoted. So it was a really good position, but I just had this, this voice in my head saying that I needed to do more, that I could do more than my organization was supposed to give me meaning. And that was partially an issue with who I was as an individual and where my mind was at. And so when I, when I actually stopped for a moment and said, okay, Ben, like you're, 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 playing your own, you know, little violin, you're singing your own little sad song. What do you want to do? Cause you got to this point because there was a two and a half year recession and every job that you wanted was pulled out from under you. And you took a job that you found through networking and you stayed in that position 
because they kept giving you more money, more opportunities, and it was comfortable and it was easy. And you didn't really take other jobs that came up or didn't get other jobs that came up. You didn't really put a lot of effort into it. And this is why you feel that way. What do you want? What do you want to do? And so I stopped and asked myself, where, where, are my, where are my strengths? What am I passionate about? What challenges do I want to face? The world is open to me. I have this experience as an entrepreneur in, in coaching. I have these experiences uh, with, start, you know, with starting a business and working with executives in uh, employee engagement, talent development, job satisfaction. And I said, okay, this is, I want to pivot my, my business to go work in this field but not just like to go off on my own. I actually ended up going to my boss and asking if I could do this type of work for the organization. I looked for other jobs in the industry itself. And those seemed to be just dead ends. They, didn't work, they weren't really working out. The path of least resistance was continuing with my coaching practice. Year, a year later, while working full time, building my coaching practice and going back to get my doctorate to build more credibility in the space, it, it went really well. And so I ended up leaving healthcare and double down on it and grew it to where it is today. Mm. So your doctorate is in organizational leadership, correct? That is correct. And you did your, was it your dissertation? Did you focus on job satisfaction specifically? So it's a mouthful. It was <laughs> the relationship between person, job, person, job, value congruence and intrinsic and extrinsic job satisfaction and senior healthcare leaders. Interesting. Okay, let's jump into that. I think there's a lot of value here. I think a lot of people are already resonating with your story. Um, you have this concept of job crafting. Uh, can you explain job crafting? Yeah, job crafting is actually a field of research that's hidden within job satisfaction. You see it come up every now and then in an article, but I'm surprised it hasn't received more, more media attention. But it nicely breaks down job satisfaction into three specific categories that are not the responsibility of the employer and the responsibility of the employee. And they are the actual work that you do, the social relationships at work, and the meaning that you perceive behind your work. And those three key areas, if you focus on them as an individual, you could use them to actually mold your job into a job that best fits you and where you feel more fulfilled each day at work. And it can actually, and you can actually end up molding it into a new position even. So it could kind of be a lot of organizations now are offering employees gig opportunities. So it's like they have the specific job, but then they make this other job for them temporarily because it's a need of the organization and a desire from the employee themselves. And so you can do that too with this information. Mm. I totally agree with that. Um, I also really resonate with the line that you said uh, that people actually have control over changing their jobs or fitting a job to more specifically align with what they see their future as, can you go through each one of the buckets and maybe give an example of how someone could like look at that bucket and maybe take more ownership or control of where their job is, is going? Yeah, and before even job crafting, I coined this, this little strategy called the career sweet spot. And if you take a look at where your strengths are and you take a look at where your passions are in life and at work, and you take a look at the challenges that you wanna face moving forwards and the people you want to meet and work with. And you make a list in each of those categories and then you kind of overlap them like a Venn diagram. You'll find where you actually should be for work at any given time. And so when you have that information to know, okay, this is, I actually feel that I have the skills for this role. This is something that I want to learn. And this is something I'm passionate about. If you have, if your, if your job fits in that area, 
then we can start working, I think, on crafting it more. Or you can use crafting to help actually mold it into that area in itself. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to mention that first. So, um, so jumping back into the job crafting then too. So you mentioned, um, those three areas, it, like I said, can you give maybe a, a specific example on how someone could use those three areas that to craft their job? So let's take a look at a role that I used to have in healthcare and I was doing work that I really didn't truly love. So let's focus on the actual work portion first. So I know that I love working on projects that leave an impact to our employees or to our patients because I worked in quality improvement prior to being an executive. And I also enjoy working with different departments within the hospital itself. So at, the, at, at that time, most of my work was corporate report outs, financial, financial submissions and capital submissions. And there was some strategy work that I was doing as well. It didn't, did not fall into the actual work that I enjoyed. So my job is to make a list of the actual work that I really want to work on, figure out who's a part of that work, and then find a way to either, either get involved with it or start moving my work more towards those buckets themselves and feel that, and, and try to see if there's anyone that can actually do the work that I dislike. So delegate it out, see if, if, if the work is even needed anymore, or see if I can actually decrease the amount that it, that it was happening. So for example, for capital submissions, if we were meeting every week, I could say it would make sense to meet every month. And when do I want to submit these? Instead of submitting them every week, maybe I can submit them every two weeks. Hmm. And so basically finding a way to mold the actual work towards what you truly enjoy and to move the work that you don't enjoy off your plates or to minimize it a little bit. And sometimes you can't do that. You can't actually minimize the work that you dislike. So doing it at a, in a time where you actually enjoy uh, your space more. So for example, if I had to submit these capital requests, I could listen to this podcast while I was doing it because this podcast rocks. Or I could listen to my favorite, my favorite pod, my, you know, different podcast or watch a TV, you know, watch a show on Netflix or something. Examples of basically just reward yourself in a way for work that you dislike. And if we're looking at the social relationships portion, that kind of falls into place with the actual work as well. But I was, I sat in a cubicle next to my, next to the CEO, cause I was kind of like his right hand man. So I distanced, I distanced myself. I was physically distanced from the people that I had around me. And I physically distanced myself from them because I was resentful towards the work itself. So what I needed to do is actually go into work, spend a little bit of the first of the day talking to people that I truly enjoyed and then find time midday and at the end of the day to build those relationships and invest in them. Mm -hmm. instead of pulling away from them because what I was doing is basically just allowing myself to sit more in my resentment instead of actually finding space to create more enjoyment through those relationships at work. You could even pair up with someone on their work. You can support them with their work. So it's mainly getting out of your own head and judgment of, of the fact that you dislike your job and finding ways to connect with individuals. Now with the meaning, I was working at a hospital. You can't get more meaningful than that. We were improving the lives of, of people each and every single day. So other than working on projects that had a direct outcome on either the employees or patients, I just needed to remind myself that what I was doing was keeping us afloat. We were the only uh, positive income hospital in our system. We were crushing it. I was part of that team and I just didn't, didn't keep that front and center. And I also just in general, like I was an executive. I, that's huge. That's great career capital. Keeping that top of mind to say, I'm on a great path. I'm in a great place understanding what's next like and i just got in my own way to re 
to remember that each and every single day. And that can be a really strong source of motivation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's resonating with everyone out there, but this story is totally resonating with me because I I do feel like we're our own worst enemy when it comes to some of this stuff. You mentioned like you start, you stop volunteering for the projects you really love, or you continue to sulk with some of the negative colleagues that you have versus like taking control and moving yourself out of it. Um, but there are some, you know, I love the ownership piece from the employee standpoint, uh, but you also work with, with leaders as well. What are some things that you've noticed um, that leaders are missing out on that lead to turnover? Talking to your employees. <laughs> it's Now there's a bigger system to that. I, it's called the team model of managing to motivate when I go do a corporate workshop, but for us, it's literally just talking to your employees and understanding that they're humans. One negative thing said from a leader or manager to an employee can leave its mark for months or more. And so how you phrase things as well, even if you're looking to just to encourage or provide feedback is incredibly important. And even more so because not a lot of times is a leader providing that positive encouragement and recognition or just checking in and have a conversation. And so think about if you're a leader listening to this, what is your style of communication with your employees? Is it only when to do something, only when to provide feedback, or is it also to get to know them and also to recognize them? I try to challenge leaders and say, for every one negative thing or one thing you have to tell your employees to do, try to have two to three other times of communication. It's just usually not the case. And that's because it decreases the volume of those negative moments if they have other moments to pull from too. And I just kind of got sucked into this communication piece, but I just think it's so important and like the style of communication that you have with your employees. But the other things though is initially, if you don't have trust, if your employees don't actually believe that you're on their side, that could I make mean, you pretty much just give up. <laughs> and building that trust has a little to do with that communication, but also has a lot to do with transparency and a lot to do with recognizing them for what they're doing and, and what they're, what they're great at. There's a lot to do with asking your employees how they feel, what's going on in their lives and understanding that. It also has a lot to do with just showing up for them. So letting them know that you're defending them, letting them know that, that you support them. So if they have any client issues, asking them about that. If they have any resource issues, if they don't actually have the things they need to do to do their job, it's about that. And once you have trust and you can focus on some of the other things, you can actually start learning about the areas of job crafting that relate to them. So you can start learning what actual work your employees love to do. You can learn about the social relationships that they really are drawn to within the workplace. And you can help, you can help bring people together in that way. Mm. And you can help talk about the meaning that you feel behind the work or what the organization is doing. And you can pull out what's meaningful to your employees and keep that top of mind. So the, the leader in a way is not responsible for providing meaning or motivation to their employees, but they're responsible for the environment that the employee works in. And so to impact that, you actually really have to get to know the people that are working, that are working under you and on your team. Do you have a, um, Ah oh, man, I hate to put structure around uh, relationship building with your with your team, um, but through your experience, whatever you did, um, do you put some structure around just like 
relationship meetings? Is, is, it, is that, does that look like one touch point a week or how, how do you go about thinking that so that people can build it in? Because I know most leaders have good intention and then uh, they get sucked into the day-to-day grind of work and then they pick their head up six weeks, weeks later and they realize they haven't connected with any one of their, their, their employees. So is there um, an easy structure people can follow for just connecting and building relationship with their employees? I think it all varies for different organizations because employees like autonomy, but they don't like ambiguity. So giving them some structure and letting them know and like for sure what they're actually going to provide in terms of work out, work, work deliverables is really important. Uh, But you, you know, you don't want to meet too many times throughout the week or throughout the months, but you do want to have some level of structure there. I love the once a week standing meetings with teams. I think there also should be weekly to bi-weekly check-ins for your direct reports. I also think that the leaders should be responsible for scheduling and hosting water cooler talk or some Mm. sort of fun conversation, but not attend them. Just let your employees go. Mm. So, because there needs to be room for them to vent with each other as well. And if they don't, if they're not scheduling it on their own, then you mean they, they still need it. You, so you should potentially provide it. So in terms of that, it's not, it really isn't rocket science. It is just really getting people together, maybe having a connection exercise in the beginning of every other meeting or every three meetings, just not, not all the time, but then also having a portion at the end of the meetings, or maybe even in the middle, because at the end, it can kind of get lost to discuss gratitude, what you're happy for on the team or to recognize people for the work that they're doing. And that you do that enough. And then you also have that a time for people to actually be real and to vent and to talk about what's going on. You can build some pretty strong connections. One of the greatest mistakes I see other than just not meeting at all within teams is, is teams having, having too many work meetings with bigger departments and things like that. Because what happens then is people zone out. Maybe they're not really being engaged. It's very much about what they need to do, not really about what they're feeling or what they're going through. And so you need to break those down into some smaller meetings and ensure that you're able to get personal. Yeah. Um, going back to the um, accountability aspect and talking about the individual again, you also have this assessment. Um, it's the 12 traits you need for success that rely only on you. And one of those major points is self-leadership. And you quoted, uh, I have you quoted as the most important leader that you're going to meet is yourself. Can you talk on that? This goes right along with self-leadership, the three C's of self-leadership and the world, like you, you don't control the world. The world is has so many variables. I can't even start to try to to estimate what's going to happen next. And I don't control my friends. I don't control my leaders. I don't control my organization goes under. The only person in the world that I control is myself. And that's even hard sometimes. <laughs> but accepting that, understanding that makes you pretty damn resilient as an individual to know that, okay, this person was just really, in this the simplest way in terms, oh, this person just was really rude to me. Okay. 
you don't control them. They don't owe you anything. They have their own perception of the world itself. But I have the choice to be really angry at them, to escalate the situation, to take this personally, or to try to disassociate myself from the emotions that I'm feeling and, and think about what else is going on, what might best serve me in this situation. And I think it's a lot of times a cop out when we can't keep our commitments or our habits or take action towards the things that we want. And it, it's a cop out because we haven't fully accepted the fact that we are in control, that we, we can make commitments. And I understand some people, like there's addictions, right? There's, there's neurochemical issues in some, in some instances. I'm not talking about those situations. Anyway, even in those situations, you could find help. You, it's just harder, right? You can make adjustments. Uh, but overall, the only person that can lead yourself truly is you. Even, even if you have the best leader in the world in your organization, the person that's actually making decisions based on that person's motivation or actions is you. And so often leaders have a hard time understanding why an employee isn't acting a certain way when they haven't, and that's because they haven't really accepted the fact that they're not really the person making the decisions for them. They're not really the leader for them that that person is. So I kind of talked about this in a couple of different ways and hopefully that answered your question. No, I think that didn't. You brought up the three C's of self-leadership, which is clarity, confidence, and control. Um, you've pretty much danced around those three, but can you kind of give a brief um, uh, breakdown of each one of those? Mm -hmm. So the three C's of self-leadership are really just traits that an individual can use almost like a checklist to help them take action towards something. So for example, let's say I want to start a business. Well, let's, let's look at clarity. What kind of business is that? What kind of business do I want to start? Well, I don't really know. Okay. Well, let's do some research. Let's ask people some questions. Let's look at what I really care about and dive into my passions and then use that to create greater levels of clarity for, Oh, okay. I want to start a, a coaching business on leadership. Great. Okay. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm just going to start. No, no, no. Let's actually talk about the goals that you're going to set for yourself. What are some annual goals that you have? Okay. Well, I'd like to get three clients. I'd like to maybe launch a podcast. I'd like to have a, a global speaking engagement. Okay, great. You have some goals. Now let's break those down into 12, 12 different goals for the months. And then let's break each one of those goals into weekly goals. So now we have clarity in terms of process, what we need to do. And we have clarity in terms of what we want to create. Awesome. But still doesn't mean you're going to take action because a lot of times people know what they want to do, but they don't know exactly what they want to create. Now, in my experience, when you do break things down into smaller processes and bite-sized bite pieces, that tends to build confidence and create some action. But let's say you still haven't created enough confidence yet to do that. So you move into building confidence, which is the second C. And so that means first identifying your limiting beliefs, knowing what those are and working on reframing them. So oh, I, how can I be a coach? I'm, I'm no one, no one, who would listen to me? Or I've never started a business before. You have to be like a Gary Vee to start a business. I can't, who am I to start a business? Or I failed at everything. 
of course I'm going to fail at this, or I need a ton of money to do this. So these are all beliefs that we have that can come up when we want to start a business. And your job is to reframe them is to say, oh, these are all the, all the successes that I've had in my life. This is what, what makes me a really powerful individual and I can use this to move forward. Or I don't know the backstory of all these stars that I keep comparing myself to. They, they, were all, they all had to start somewhere too. This is where I'm going to start. So now all of a sudden you're creating positive beliefs and the negative beliefs that you had. On the other side of confidence is also just scaling up. Like if you want to be a coach, you should read some coaching books. You should listen to some coaching podcasts. You should go get a coach. You should go meet coaches and bring them into your network and talk to them about their coaching business. And so what you're doing is you're building confidence from actually scaling up as well as internal confidence from basically creating a greater inner champion. Hmm. But so then you have these processes, you know what you want to build. You're now confident that you can do it. Control has to do mainly with two aspects. It has to do with intentionally living towards those goals. So I'm going to prioritize them. I'm going to set some structure and I'm going to schedule in what I need to accomplish. But also I'm going to ensure that the environment that I'm operating in actually serves me as well. So I'm going to build relationships that relate to creating that coaching practice. I'm going to be on message brand wise whenever I talk to the world about that coaching practice. And I'm going to, no matter if I have a bad day, you know, if, even if I don't like doing it, I'm going to hold myself accountable to, to, to doing the things that I found out in the clarity stage. And so the three C's of self-leadership are basically a, a way for you to ensure that you feel capable and do take action towards something that you care about. Yeah. Thanks for that breakdown. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and another C that I have heard or a theme that comes up frequently through researching you was change. Uh, and you posted this uh, picture on Instagram maybe a couple weeks ago. It was this butterfly and this caterpillar talking to each other. And the, the caterpillar said, um, he mentioned something about like, let me see if I can find it here in my notes because it was, it was so good. Um, thought I had it here. You oh, he said, yeah, yeah, supposed to. Yeah, yeah. The caterpillar said you changed. And the butterfly said, we're supposed to. Uh, and that was just a really simple illustration. Uh, you mentioned some of the relationships um, that you've had. I'm assuming you've moved on from some old relationships. So and I think this is um, inevitable for just about anybody, especially my audience, which is the 20 something now that might be moving on from who they were in high school or college and into who they want to become in the future. How, how have you let go of um, people that you used to consider friends that aren't necessarily serving you not in a malicious way, but just you know, you guys don't align anymore? It's just something you have to do as you grow. And it's mainly because the people that don't align with who you are and where you're going for your values or what you're trying to build, they will hold you back either through negativity, through doubt, through basically pulling you away from the things that you care about. And it is sad, but also needs to be acknowledged where you spend your time and where you focus is where you'll grow. And if you're constantly spending time with people that are not aligned with where you're going, then you're going to grow at a much slower rate. And so it's really important to be aware of the influence people around you have on your life. Are they positive? Are they negative? And kind of drop this feeling of guilt or that you owe them something for the relationships that you've had. I mean, everything in life just kind of 
dwindles away as we move on from it. So the job that you had 10 years ago probably is just a little speck in your, in your mind right now. This, you know, little sports team you played on as a kid, you might not even remember the art project that you made one time, you know, seven years ago. I think I paper mache a cat. Like it was, <laughs> I don't remember it. I think my parents still had it. That's the only reason why I remember it. Relationships are different. They serve a purpose at a specific time. And if they continue serving a purpose, then you should continue investing in them. But if they don't, then you need to move on. I gave a workshop not too long ago on change and I, I like acronyms a lot. So I created the, the ABCs of change. I'm sure that a lot of people have different, different acronyms for change, but it's about awareness, belief and commitment whenever you're trying to manage change. So the first step is to be aware of the relationships in your life that aren't serving you, the relationships that are serving you. And then to examine the belief that you have in terms of how you think they're serving you or not serving you and the beliefs that you have in terms of where you want to go in your life and why you want to get there. And once you really dive into those beliefs and understand why certain things are important to you, you may discover that your friend is more important than the beliefs that you have towards working towards your business. That's great. And the commitment to continue investing in that relationship, but you may find out that they are actually holding you back and have been holding you back. I've had more than my, my fair share of relationships that I used as an escape and for validation from my life and from my goals. And so once I realized that I had to commit I had to make a commitment to not seeing this person or to have a conversation with this person that we needed to stop seeing each other or to limit my interactions with them to vacations or holidays or things like that. And it's really tough because when you lose your friends, there's not friends just waiting for you. So you may experience a little bit of loneliness if you haven't put in the time to network in the field and industry that you're interested in. And I would highly suggest if anyone decides to move away from negativity to find at least one person or find a group or organization where you can spend your time because loneliness is not a fun feeling to have in your life at any time and is actually really demotivating and can make you give up on what you're trying to work towards. So keep that in mind when trying to move away from individuals. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'd love to pry you on that, but I want to get you out of here um, on time. It's Sunday afternoon and, and you need to go spend some time with your partner. So um, if people do want to interject some positivity in their life, I encourage them to go and follow you and put them in your network. Um, where's the best place that people can reach out and get connected with you? So 3816 gun gun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't show up at my doorstep. Uh, go, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Dr. Benjamin Ritter. I'm the only one up there so far. And I read and respond to everyone. So send me a message and I will connect. You can also check out my business and coaching services at liveforyourselfconsulting.com. And if you want to see more of my face or hear more of my voice, check out my YouTube channel at Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I strongly encourage people to go explore you a little bit more. We only got to touch the surface with our conversation today. My final question for you, um, growing of age, I've realized that, um, 
there's a lot of things or behaviors I wish I would have started earlier. That's like most of my regrets, I think, revolve around that, even though I'm proud that I've started some of these things. Now I would, I wish, the only thing I wish is I would have started it sooner. Um, so what's a habit that you wish you would have started at 20 years old that you may have gotten started a little late? I also want to say disclaimer, the habits that you start doing that might be really good for you, you may change those too or stop doing them for a while. Doing them earlier is is great, but they do change. I'll tell you that for sure. Even the best habits that you have, just because life in itself is a metamorphosis, as we've talked about in terms of the butterfly and the caterpillar, mm. and you're always changing. So if there was one thing that I wish I started doing at 20 or 20 years earlier, taking a break, like, man, taking a break, finding time, like to make certain parts of my day holy and not letting other people or other desire, like any pressures intrude on them. So going for those walks, going spending some time in nature, spending a decent amount of time stretching and relaxing and, and honoring, honoring that. I think too often I just get lost in the work for sure. I think that's beautiful advice um, and totally makes sense and a holistic uh, standpoint whenever I was researching you. So uh, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, thanks for coming into the Sandbox. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I am looking forward to staying connected and hopefully meeting you in person one of these days. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks for having me on. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If this episode brought value to you, share it with a friend and show love on social. You can tag me at Justin Lee Peters. The link to the show notes is in the episode description, and we'll include all the resources we talked about today. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time in the Sandbox.